They say if we can get to the south pole of the moon, we can convert some of the frozen water we find into rocket fuel that will take us on to the next best place. That leads us to ask, can water be made to fuel our food chain? Welcome to the award-winning Food Chain Radio Show with your host, Michael Olson. And now, get ready for one hour of What's Eating What Radio. Well, hello out there. You are tuned into the 1350th edition of the Food Chain Radio Show. Or hey, perhaps you're among our friends way down there in Port Stanley who are tuned into the Food Chain Podcast at MetroFarm.com or on Spotify or who knows where. Well, wherever you are and whoever you are, welcome aboard. I am Michael Olson, your host for this hour of What's Eating What. Folks, this just in. From Reuters, no less. Russia has launched its first moon landing spacecraft in 47 years in a bid to be the first nation to make a soft landing on the south pole of the moon. Well, the Russians are racing to beat India, which launched its Chandiran 3 lunar lander last month, and also with the United States and China, both of which have advanced lunar exploration programs targeting the lunar south pole. Why are these mighty nations racing to the south pole of the moon? Gold? Diamonds? Blue cheese? No, the race is on for ice. Over 600 billion kilograms of water ice, enough ice to fill 240,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools. That's a lot of ice, don't you think? Didn't even know the moon had any, but it does. So, why race to the moon for ice? Because that ice could be made to provide air and water for an army of people and fuel for their rocket ships. And get this, whichever nation controls the ice controls the moon. So, this race to the moon leads those of us stuck here on Mother Earth to ask, can water be made to fuel our future? Well, who better to ask than our green energy consultant, Mike Keller, who is the Michael and Michael A. Keller and Associates Consulting. Mike, welcome to the food chain. Thanks, Michael. It's nice to be here. We have a Mike and we have a Michael. That way we know which one's which. One's a Michael and one's a Mike. So your resume claims that people, that you help people create bankable energy feedstock supplies from sub-merchantable material for agricultural-based conversion technologies, including gaseous hydrogen, anaerobic digestion, and biomass to energy projects. So, Mr. Consultant, how are we going to convert water, ice, into rocket fuel up there on the moon? Sure. Well, I, I guess first you have to thaw it, but you, know, <laughs> you can do that. It might be right. a job. It's just trying to it figure out how to thaw it, right? Could be. The, um, well, basically, water is you know, H2O, which is a hydrogen and, and two molecules of oxygen or two molecules of hydrogen and a molecule of oxygen. And they, uh, the technology is pretty simple. You use electrolysis or an electronic charge to separate those two, um, those two components. 
into hydrogen, comes off as a gas, and then oxygen. So the um, uh, so it's the it, so to make hydrogen out of water is is extremely efficient, and the uh, 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 and it's pretty simple to do. It's just uh, one of the reasons it's not done more here on Mother Earth is because I mean water is extremely precious, and so uh, most of the technologies rely on fresh water, and but there is emerging technology now that will convert seawater and uh, nasty water you know, like from uh, sewage treatment plants into uh, hydrogen as well. So the, that's uh-huh. coming along. So the hydrogen could be used to fuel our rocket ships. So, that's correct. So if we can get to the south pole of the moon and grab a hold of all of that uh, water ice, we can convert it into rocket fuel and air because whoever's yep. up there guarding the, the water ice is going to have to have air. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's the reason we're racing, right? Uh, I would think so, yeah. It's, um, but there's, there's plenty, uh, plenty to do right here on, on Mother Earth, too, with the hydrogen uh, because it's, it's, a, um, it's a prime replacement for fossil fuels for transportation and uh, uh, for power generation and so on. It's a very versatile, versatile element. Well, even this morning, when I was learning about our race to the moon, I see where the technology is such that they're talking about converting jet engines to hydrogen as well, which, of course, yep. would really change the nature of air travel. And of of the pollutants that we expel as we're blasting our way across the the uh, the altitudes, uh, what, yeah. what difference would it make to use hydrogen instead of the fossil fuels? Well, hydrogen um, is essentially carbon free, and the the problem or the the greatest um, complaint, I guess, if you will, of of jet of aviation fuel or aviation emissions is that they're, they're much more, um, uh, they have a much greater effect on the atmosphere because you're doing it at such high altitudes. So the production of sustainable airline fuel or aviation fuel, I should say, uh, also known as SAF, SAF production is, is, um, is really a great quest for all of the airlines to, to, cut down on the harmful effects of, of carbon emissions on climate change. Mm-hmm. So um, but when you, but that, that's the biggest, I mean, that's kind of like the Holy grail of hydrogen for transportation fuel is SAF. Okay. And so when those aircraft are flying at high altitudes, 37,000 feet up there in mm-hmm. the sky, and they're spewing out all of this carbon waste from the uh, fossil fuels, that that carbon particles just hang around. They float around up there for a while, don't they? Yeah, and um, I'm not. I, I'm by no means an expert on this on this subject, but it's 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 way more um, intense uh, on the uh, uh, on the atmosphere than if you're emitting those those emissions on a, you know on uh, driving down the highway. And because it's way up there, you don't have a chance for it to be become absorbed from uh, photosynthesis through trees or, or plants and that type of thing. Um, the soil, the ocean, the two biggest carbon sinks on the planet, 
don't have the ability to to reach that far into the air, you know, to get those carbon emissions. So it it really is a problem uh, for the planet, and also it's a very complex problem to correct, mm-hmm. you know, to uh, to find a replacement for aviation fuel. Well, even even here on Earth, hydrogen energy seems to be popping all all over the place, kind of like mushrooms on a uh, after a <laughs> rainfall. It just hydrogen here, hydrogen there. Toyota's uh, Toyota Motor Company, the leading motor company of the world, is seems to be eschewing the um, EVs, electronic vehicles, for hydrogen power. And they, you would have to believe that Toyota knows something. So there, all of these stories are popping up. What is causing all the stories to pop up as they are? Um, the uh, Toyota, I mean, specifically, I think is is covering all their bets. I mean, they're not, you know, they're they're not uh, uh, bypassing or eschewing, as you say, uh, um, uh, electric vehicles. They've got, you know, they brought in the hybrids. Yeah, they invented you know, the, the hybrid, right? Yeah, and and really develop that market, but the um, uh, been I've been working with Toyota for their um, Toyota Susho, the 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 parent company of Toyota Motor Company for their Port of Los Angeles and their Port of Long Beach facility, and the so they they, they made a, a public statement that they want to convert all the the, the cargo handling uh, uh, equipment down there to. Uh, to they want to decarbonize that port, and so they do it. It's it's um, it's as much practical, I think, if I had to, you know, give my opinion about it. It's as much practicality as it is environmental. The the um, they've got I don't know. It's it's several thousand of these. Uh, they're called top loaders, uh, material handlers that take the the, the cargo or the, the the cargo container, the shipping container off of a cargo ship and put it onto a drage truck, then the truck leaves. And so these, these, um, uh, these top loaders, they run 12, 14 hours a day, and then they all have to charge at the same time. So, but they charge at night. And when the, you know, the sun is not out and the, the solar cells are not, uh, are not charging, you know, charging anything. So they have to have, um, uh, but then the time to actually charge these things is uh, and because of the, the the number of them, it's physically. I mean, it's it's just not practical to to charge that many vehicles using using EV chargers, even if it was on the fastest one, because of the the infrastructure required. So what so what Toyota realized is that if they used hydrogen, a hydrogen uh, fueled uh, piece of equipment, and uh, so they can charge it in you know, in less than an hour. And so they can charge everything for a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the time that it would take to uh, otherwise to do an electric vehicle. So it's a, uh, it's a very much of an economic move on their part. And it just happens to um, uh, help the atmosphere and it makes it a much more profitable situation for them. Uh, So what, what they do, Michael, continue on for just a moment, but they'll, they will use, um, fuel cells, you know, um, that sit idle and they, they charge them during the day with um, uh, basically green electrons or solar power. 
and it converts it into hydrogen and the hydrogen is stored in these fuel cells. So then they, they hook up the, you know, the equipment to these fuel cells and they charge in like 10 or 15 minutes. And, you know, so one fuel cell will charge multiple, uh, multiple top loaders. And it's, um, uh, so they, everything is charged. They have zero emissions and, and it's, uh, and they really help the, uh, the air quality around the port of, of Los Angeles as well as Long Beach. Well, it seems like a very good deal all the way around to produce energy from water. And I love the idea. <laughs> um, well, so well, the, what they're going to go ahead. They're not going from water. Uh, they're doing it uh, by um, uh, well, they're they're they've got to go they've got to go outside uh, to to purchase hydrogen from wherever they can. And that's just that's the issue right now is there's just not enough producers of hydrogen to to fuel just one single port, let alone you know, two ports, or they have seven ports, I guess, in North America. Well, we're going to take a quick break, folks. This is the Food Chain Radio Program. Michael Olson, riding along with Mike Keller, who is uh, the consultant at Michael A. Keller & Associates, talking about hydrogen uh, and the possibility that it is the next energy source. It is the new world in which we'll live sometime down the line. People have been talking about it for a long, long time. And um, so when we come back from this break, I'm going to ask Michael, if hydrogen is the fuel of the future, why can't we have it today? Do stay tuned. This is the Food Chain. Michael Olson and Mike Keller. Michael and Mike, right back. And now, back to What's Eating What on the Food Chain with Michael Olson. Well, yes, we are back on the food chain. We're looking for what's eating what with respect to uh, energy and how we're going to fuel our future food chain. Uh, Nobody wants to use gasoline because it's dirty, pollutes the air, and uh, costs a lot of money. So is there an alternative? Well, we look to electricity. We look to the uh, windmills. We look to those things where we can get what we think of free electricity, but um, I'm not sure, so sure that it's all that free. But uh, hydrogen poses a very interesting possibility. And my question to Mike Keller, who is a consultant in the industry, is that if hydrogen is the future, why can't we have it now? That's your question. (laughs) Okay. Well, the, it's really interesting, but the, um, the number of reasons for it, but the biggest one is there's, there's just no infrastructure. Uh, like 10 years ago, there wasn't much of an infrastructure for, for EVs, electric vehicles. And, and so today the, you know, you're seeing charging stations pop up everywhere and the, uh, you know, and there's, there's, there's a tax, it's, it's putting a great stress on the grid, uh, for all these EVs and, and et cetera. And then, you know, switching away, you know, California is mandating, you know, the, uh, we can't use gas stoves. All homes must be electric. And, and so this, this demand for electricity is just skyrocketing. And so there's, there's this massive push to put infrastructure in for the increased, you know, uh, load demand on, on the, the power network, on the power grid. It's, it's similar to uh, hydrogen, except the, uh, hydrogen, there, there's, it's, we're, it's essentially a flat start. 
So you've got to find uh, the the fuel to make the hydrogen, and then you've got to have a you know a market to sell it into. It's just a chicken and egg situation. So um, that's the the of all the different. There's probably I don't know five or six different kinds of hydrogen. It all depends on how you produce it, and then the engines that are it's going to go into. But the most promising market are over the road trucks because. They're uh, the over-the-road trucks that go from, you know, New York to L.A. or, or something like that. Well, uh, uh, they'll use hydrogen because it's faster to fuel and uh, to fill them up, like 15, 20 minutes, and versus, uh, you know, like 45 minutes or an hour for, uh, for a big rig truck. And then you don't have the battery weight. So there's uh, – that – that seems to be the emerging market right now. And uh, companies like Nikola, uh, they're building uh, Lowe's Truck Shops, Pilot. Uh, they're planning to put in hydrogen fueling station for over-the-road trucks. And and now they're looking for producers of hydrogen. So it's uh, they're kind of work, working both ends against the middle. And I'm on, I'm on the upstream side, and those guys are on the downstream side, you know, uh, distributing it to end users. Good, Mr. Upstream side. How do we make hydrogen <laughs> fuel? What do we do? Well, the the way that I mean, we uh, we, we split make, the uh, atom, right? We split the the molecule. Yeah, and and so what we're doing uh, is we're taking uh, organic material. In this case, woody biomass. Uh, woody biomass. You see the tree trucks going around your neighborhood and grinding up the. The tree trimmings and that type of thing, uh, what? But we we need to have it in vast quantities, and we need to have it for, you know, pretty much of a guaranteed supply to cover the cost of building these plants. So, so what happens is we've gone to the national forest in uh, in California, and this is true across the uh, across the country and across the world. Is they'll go in and they will thin trees out. Uh, you mentioned at the at the introduction. Uh, they get rid of what's called submergible or submerged material. Wait a minute, just a minute. minute. That's an interesting word. I like it. Submergible material, which means you can't sell it. You you can't sell it. So uh, it's for the last two decades, at least, uh, it was a misguided attempt at forest management to let you know, let the tree you know just die in the forest and you know if it falls over from let's say a disease or drought um, you know they'll they say well just let it rot into the ground well that resulted in a tremendous amount of wildfires and the you know which which burned the last several years uh, in our state and elsewhere causing you know billions of dollars in in property damage and loss of life so so now with the U.S. Forest Service, um, uh, CDFA here in California, California Department of Fire and Agriculture, the uh, Forestry and Agriculture, they <laughs> found that there's a good you, Freudian you, slip there. Well, <laughs> they they they'll go in and they'll remove, they'll thin the forest out, they'll get rid of the skinny trees that that there's there's no value for. Uh, they'll get rid of uh, the dying. Uh, trees that, you know, that survived the last fire, but the but they're no longer useful as making dimensional lumber, and then inf- uh, infested trees by uh, the bark beetle as as one the most notorious in the western states, 
they they just crumble when you uh, when you cut them down. So, but that's it's it's worthless to a sawmill, but they're very valuable for fuel production. So we can so the the technology that we use uh, is we'll use pyrolysis, which is which means high temperature and low oxygen. So the the these trees you put them you grind them up or you chip them up and you put them into these continuous flow um, ovens, if you will, and, and they'll, they'll get really hot, and they'll just start to break down. Is, isn't smoking, that, yeah, Mike, isn't that the same process by which the Amazonian indigenous peoples made biochar? You are spot on, Michael. Um, the, and that's, you know, the, the, the effects of the soil fertility that, they, that was a result of this is uh, created this this highly fertile soil in the Amazon. So, so what what we are going to do, and, and others like us, is we're we're taking this, and when it when it gets to that high temperature, it gives off uh, what we call a synthetic gas or a syn gas, which is a, a combination of hydrogen, methane, CO, and CO two, and probably some others in there that I have forgotten. And they they will they will use different technology to separate the hydrogen out, and then they use the methane, uh, and they'll 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 cycle that back into the the furnace, if you will, the retort, and it so it it just burns itself. So it's, you have zero emissions. You take the hydrogen out, and you're getting rid of of trees that otherwise would would eventually turn into greenhouse gas, uh, most notably uh, methane just from uh, from breaking down and carbon dioxide. So it's so this is a way of reducing, adding to forest health and uh, reducing emissions. And then the, the biochar that's left over, the, the, the charcoal, if you will, is, is 90% plus or minus a couple of percent pure carbon. And that carbon is very porous and it, and it's, it is an excellent soil additive. And so it can, uh, it's been proven to sequester carbon. There's carbon credits available for it. And that carbon remains fixed in the soil for well over 100 years. And it improves soil fertility, soil retention, uh, increased crop performance. I mean, just everything that you can imagine. So it really is a, it's a closed cycle uh, that is uh, just really getting started in California and elsewhere. And interestingly enough, it's the technology by which the Amazonians built huge civilizations in the Amazon jungle before yep. Europeans showed up on the scene with their diseases. Uh, Bless their but you can still find that terra preta, that black earth in the it's, Amazon, and people actually right. sell it as a, uh, a garden fertilizer. So, yeah. yeah. You know, this is this is sounding too good to be true, Mike Keller. <laughs> well, it it's uh, uh, it, it actually is true, and it's doable, and it's so putting the pieces together uh, is uh, has been challenging but very rewarding. Mm -hmm. uh, and the the Inflation Reduction Act passed uh, last year, I believe, by President Biden. You know, it, uh, it provides tremendous number of incentives for producers to uh, to take this and to take this submerged material and turn it into hydrogen. And so there's there's a lot of uh, incentives otherwise. 
you know, to do this. And it's um, uh, it's really starting to get traction now. Well, you are working with um, the the what is it the Thule, uh, Thule River Economic yeah, Development Yeah, Thule River Economic Development Corporation, which is a mm-hmm. corporation that helps um, the local Indian tribe down there uh, manage their land, and and you're teaching them how to do this. So I think it would provide a really good practical practical example of what you're talking about. Do you want to take us through that? Sure. So the the, uh, the Thule River Nation and many other uh, uh, federally recognized tribes in California and elsewhere, uh, especially in California, a lot of their land is national forest. And, and so the reservation goes up and into the national forest. So when a wildfire happens, it, it threatens life and limb. It's like the Paradise Fire, the CZU fire we had here a few years ago. Um, and so the and plus the economic opportunities are they're just they're just not that many of them for for tribal nations. So what what we've decided to do or we put our heads together and said, you have all of these trees that that need to come out. And there's about, you know, 100 plus tons per acre per year of submerchantable material that you can take out. And so the, the idea is rather than leave them there, which increases uh, the, uh, the risk of fire because there's all this fuel laying around. So you take it out, you're creating jobs, then you're creating uh, uh, this hydrogen fuel, which can be used to generate electricity, to, you know, to charge EVs. It can be used for transportation fuel, uh, and it could be sold to to other companies that are upgrading it to, say, green ammonia or sustainable aviation fuels. We spoke of a few minutes ago, but there's there's a lot of optionality that can be done. So it's creating jobs, it's helping the environment, um, it's um, uh, reducing the uh, the wildfire risk. When you talk about it, it's a win win all the way across the board. Yeah, but surely and, there must uh, be something wrong with it. Because it sounds like an ecologist delight, because you're, you're doing everything you should be doing. Well, it it the I, I'm not sure what the the biggest gripe would be, other than well, you're you're using government money to do it, and well, okay, if that's the biggest one, then you know I'll take it. But the you know the uh, forest uh, the Forest Service uh, Cal Fire. Uh, it's in charge of protecting us from wildfires and other uh, other maladies. It's otherwise this material literally just turns into greenhouse gases if you did nothing with it. And and so it's it's a new way of looking at things, uh, and you know to to create a low carbon or zero carbon transportation fuel that's it's truly is sustainable. Or maybe it's an old way of looking at things that we're just coming to grips with today because our new way of thinking (laughs) proved to be the wrong way of thinking. Um, Yeah. Controlled burns. I mean, that's what I was talking about a minute ago was the, you know, that it was, it was believed for a long time that, that it was just let the trees fall and let them decay. And that, that proved to be a colossal mistake. And, and so uh, in, in days past and years past, that, that wildfires were, you know, uh, especially Native American tribes, 
would let the fires just burn themselves out. And that and that same thing, what we're trying to do you know, manually today by removing that material. And we've got we have a tremendous amount of work to do, uh, you know, for for many years to come to to achieve what what occurred naturally, you know, maybe a century ago. So. So then we have to figure out how to get the the hydrogen fuel around because it's a gas, right? That's right. Um, so the 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 way that that uh, I'm working with the the Tule River, well, uh, but maybe maybe this. we should hold that because we're coming up with oh. with a, a break here in a very short okay, period sure. of time. So just to kind of catch everybody up, uh, I was amazed to learn that Russia shot a, a rocket to the moon with a. Um, a little car-sized vehicle that's going to run around on the south pole of the moon for a while. Why? Because the south pole of the moon contains water, a lot of water. And uh, with that water, astronauts or, or whatever kind you call the warriors that go up there to take over the moon are going to need air, and uh, they're going to need uh something to fuel their rocket ships with. And they can make that that air and that rocket fuel out of water. And so we're, we give that a little consideration and realize that hydrogen is popping up all over the place, kind of like mushrooms on a in the forest floor after a rain. Here they are, here they are. We're talking about hydrogen cars. We're talking about hydrogen jets. And uh, it is... Unless I'm mistaken, one of the most uh, abundant elements on Earth, hydrogen, H2O. It's almost everywhere. Uh, and so today we're picking up hydrogen and wondering, is it possible that the simple element that we all consume every day in water uh, could fuel our future? And according to Mike Keller, it should, because it could do what we've neglected to do for probably a hundred years and are paying the uh, price for it today, as we have seen what happened to our good friends in Lahaina. Right back. So much to say, so little time to say it on The Food Chain with Michael Olson. We are back. This is the Food Chain. Michael Olson here. Today we're talking about hydrogen and how we're going to convert our world to a hydrogen, a hydrogen economy. It sounds fun to me. It sounds clean. It sounds wonderful because we can clear the forest of junk, turn it into hydrogen, and drive off into the sunset or fuel our rocket ships on to the next best place, wherever that may be. So, um, Mike Keller of Michael A. Keller's Associates Consulting, how are we going to make all of this conversion possible? Well, the, uh, as I said a, a few minutes ago, that there's a number of ways to do it. Uh, you can take uh, uh, natural gas and split it into hydrogen and CO2, and that's called blue hydrogen. 
and you have to sequester the CO2, which which is not easy, uh, easier said than done. And and because the gas is already going through the pipeline, there's uh, the method that I'm using is called green hydrogen, and green hydrogen uses um, uh, in this case it's biomass to hydrogen. And so what we're using is uh, woody biomass, which we use pyrolysis to break it down to make syngas. And, and that's, that's really uh, uh, location specific. You can't be bringing trees in from, you know, the, the East Coast to California to do this. You have to use material that's already available. And that material right now is, is coming from the state's forests. And, and it, it's really uh, very convenient, and it's ecologically very um, useful, very beneficial. And so we, we bring that, that material that doesn't, you know, that's no good to anybody else, and we use that to turn that into hydrogen. And, since, and then we'll just sell it right there you know, in the, what I call the, uh, uh, the microbrewery model, where we're making the, the, the fuel in the back and selling it in the front. And so fueling stations, in other words, that, that sell hydrogen. Uh, mm. The excess hydrogen, we just turn it into electricity and, and uh, sell that into the grid or, or have a, a, a private agreement with somebody like a, you know, a cold storage facility or something like that to turn that into electricity for them. So they're not using fossil fuel or whatever. It reduces the stress on the grid as well. So it's distributed production. Is, is really the, the easiest way to say it. That's really interesting because my Definitely. father and his father, I think, operated the last totally vertically integrated petroleum company in the country. At least I think it was them. What they did is they dug a hole in the ground and pumped crude oil out of the hole. And then they pumped yeah. that crude oil up to the top of a hill where they had their house. And they built a refinery. And they refined yeah. that raw petro uh, crude oil into various petroleum products and lubrications, and they sold it to farmers and ranchers who came from miles around to get the energy and lubrication to run their farms. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, essentially. And, and so there's, there's different size. Uh, a lot, there's a lot of companies that are coming uh, online right now that have, you know, some are very elaborate, like, you know, like you would, you know, see a, like an oil refinery, and some of them are, are quite simple, just you know, kind of like a, you know, a, a, you know, a home size model, and you know, there's any size in between because the reaction is the same. You just use, you know, um, uh, high temperature, low oxygen to make this thin gas, and you separate it, and, and there you go. But uh, yeah, it's you just until you can you can put it into a pipeline. Technically, you can do it today, but um, in the United States, it is it's extremely rare to do it because the hydrogen molecule is so much lighter than a natural gas molecule, and it's just they don't blend well when you put them in. Uh, you know, like you know, putting methane from uh, from an anaerobic digester into a natural gas pipeline, you can do that, but you can't do it with with hydrogen. So, shipping it and storing it are the biggest uh, are, are the biggest near-turn obstacles to the, the widespread commercialization of hydrogen. Uh, can they compress it? Compression costs a tremendous amount of money. Uh, you, can, you can compress the gas and or you can liquefy it. 
when you liquefy it, 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 it gets it down to it's the it's the lowest temperature of any gas compression that I'm aware of. Uh, I, I think it's true, but but the but it costs a lot of money to do it. So what people are doing is they put it into these fuel cell batteries. These, you know, it's like you see uh, uh, it would be like a giant over the road truck, and except this is a giant fuel cell battery, and a fuel cell will take hydrogen and turn it into electricity so you can ship it across the country and and or ship it anywhere and plug it in and it'll it'll release hydrogen or it'll release electricity but it's just these are i i wouldn't you know they're they're the best we can come up with today for the most part but still it's 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 not very efficient um uh, it'll happen like like lahaina for example bless their hearts the, you know, you would put a, a bunch of these fuel cells on site for emergency response to generate electricity. And, fu- and you know, there's no hydrogen cars really there per se. But but that's the kind of, of utility that these, these fuel cells will make. And it's the same fuel cell that goes into uh, transportation. So it converts hydrogen to electricity and drives that electricity to the drivetrain, just like an EV, except it's hydrogen. Well, it seems like this is the major obstacle then we have to overcome before we can develop a hydrogen economy. It seems like there's just that significant roadblock of transportation. You have a a gas that's uh, lighter than just about anything else. And I, w- I was thinking, well, you could put it in a dirigible. Uh, but that, of course, doesn't <laughs> make much sense. You know, it, it's kind of reminiscent of the cellulosic ethanol um, yep. concept that, that uh, we worked a number of years ago, whereas all we need to do is dissolve the cellulose in plants and convert, convert yep. them to sugars and convert the sugars to alcohol, and we have a never-ending um, source of energy to drive around with. But we never could figure out how to efficiently dissolve the cellulose. And it seems like we're kind of running up against a similar kind of obstacle here. Do you think we can overcome it? Oh, yeah. The uh, the number of companies that are working on that exact model, I mean, you, you described it perfectly, is that they're taking uh, organic or carbon-based material, such as a tree and uh, or corn or whatever, and they're adding, you know, a particular enzyme to it that will convert that carbon into a sugar, and then they'll the, the sugar is then used to produce fuel. So it's uh, uh, it is a thing, and and there's uh, so corn-based ethanol uh, people uh, producers are uh, uh, it, they're they're starting to blend in cellulosic ethanol with their corn-based ethanol. And then to to get a lower carbon intensity fuel, and uh, so that's that's really that's an up and coming thing. They, those facilities take hundreds of thousands of tons of feedstock a year, so you got to have got to have it where you can rely on it year after year after year, regardless of the season, regardless of the economy, and and then you have to have a buyer for it on the downstream side. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, uh, and then you know not to mention just the, the the capital to build the facility. So there's it you know most everything can be solved with money, 
but the the feedstock for cellulosic ethanol or uh, or to make hydrogen is um, there, there's just other challenges involved. Uh, what we're doing, I'm, I call it small ball. We're taking you know, 100 tons a day of material, which is two truckloads of material, and turning that into up to you know uh, a metric ton of hydrogen a day. And, and that's that is a a very doable uh, material handling uh, challenge. It's it, there's there's not much to it, and you can sell that you know pretty much immediately. And the carbon credits from the uh, uh, from the biochar, uh, they're in big demand, and so it's that's that's our business model is just small ball and get collect wood from from uh, local areas and then turn it into hydrogen and then sell it into that local community. Kind of like so, a microbrewer, same principle. That's exactly. Yeah, I, good idea. That's a great way. I'm going to use. That. <laughs> I'm going to use that. Okay, well, I'm going to use that. Um, now, are these slow cooking um, ovens that you use to get the syn gas? Uh, are they portable? Can you put them on a uh, trailer and pull them someplace and and uh, kind of work the neighborhood? Uh, well, I guess technically yes, but it's it's not like you know you pull it up one day and start and plug it in the next. There's uh, a lot of them, are, they're skid mounted, they come in, but then you have to hook them up. There has to be the infrastructure around it to right. make it work. Uh, yes, they can do it. It's just more involved than, than you might think at first blush. Well, I would, I would assume so. But you made mention also in a conversation previous to the show of something called produced water. Right. So electrolysis is is running water through an electric current and it separates the hydrogen and oxygen molecule and water itself is is obviously very valuable um, the uh, what in oil and gas exploration when they drill for oil they uh, one of the the things that they that they recover is it's called produced water so it's water that's that comes up with the oil or with the gas and is really full of a lot of nasties and, and needs to be put back into the ground. And, and uh, a company in uh, Bakersfield, uh, Renovo, I think is the name of the company, but they figured out a way to a patented process to clean up uh, produced water and into potable water. And, and it's these, these plants are very expensive, but, but we can use that water that's currently not, you know, even before they get it to the potable side, that uh, we can use produced water and use that to produce uh, uh, hydrogen uh, and electricity, et cetera, et cetera. And, and there's, that is a massive, massive untapped market and is a potential solution for uh, hydrogen production and distribution. We but have it's, a we have a Go few ahead. minutes left, but you made mention of the, of the great breakthroughs that are being made as we speak. How great are those breakthroughs in, in making hydrogen gas? Well, the, uh, the one thing that, that I think is the most exciting uh, is the, the ability to use seawater and to in the uh, electrolysis. And uh, salt makes it there's a there's a chemical reaction challenge 
to removing uh, or for the salt that gets in the way of the electrolysis and splitting it. Uh, one company that uh, I've learned about uh, is has figured out a way around that and has commercialized that technology. So you could say, you know, where you could go into a pond or a, 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 an inlet that has brackish water and that is, is really no good for anything. And you can take and use that water to produce hydrogen or you can go to uh, an area uh, the Salton Sea is an example. Of, you know, they're they're taking uh, uh, the minerals out of that. I'm not saying that this is a good idea to use the Salton Sea, but it, as an example, where you have just dead water and and use that to to produce fuel. Um, you know, and it's uh, and then there's of course you know fresh water. You have rivers and things like that. And there's you know there's I don't know if those are great ideas either, but wherever you have uh, a steady supply of water, then you could easily, you know, produce, you know, use electrolysis. It's very, um, very efficient. It's way more efficient than using biomass. But, but again, it's water, and then water is, as you know, is becoming a much more dear commodity than just about anything else on the planet right now. If you had your choice, which do you think will win the race to the energy future? Would it be the cellulosic ethanol model or the uh, synthetic hydrogen synthesis. It's going to be one I didn't say. I, I'm, I'm going to sucker punch you on this one. It's municipal solid waste. And there's there's technology out there right now that can take MSW, as it's called, and convert that into hydrogen and electricity. And it's so you could have. Uh, you know, instead of a landfill, you have these machines sitting up there that you, you bring the material in, it treats it, it turns it into hydrogen and, and whatnot. The the trucks that haul the, the trash, you know, they would then be running on that hydrogen. And it's it's way more efficient than trying to capture methane out of a landfill. Uh, and, and, you, and you don't have that, that's the problem of a sprawling landfill anymore. And it's uh, that technology is here today. Uh, and then also plastic, you know, uh, uh, using plastic to, to produce hydrogen. So all of these things, these technologies are here. They are just on the cusp of becoming uh, commercialized. So it's, uh, it's an exciting time, and I think it's very promising for, uh, for transportation fuel. Wow. Good news all the way around <laughs> from Mike yes, sir. Keller of Michael A. Keller and Associates Consulting. Nothing but good news about our energy future, and we'll take it. And we love the idea of going into the forest and clearing all that slash, turning it into fuel, cleaning up the forest so they don't burn down. Um, nothing but good news, Mike. Thank you so much for joining us on the food chain. Ladies and gentlemen, remember Michael Olson's, let's see, first law of the food chain. Agriculture is the foundation upon which we build all our sandcastles. And that's exactly what we're doing. You've been listening to the award-winning Food Chain Radio Show with Michael Olson. And if your friends miss the show, tell them to log on the Food Chain page at MetroFarm.com for a listen. 
now go out and find some food with its farmer's face on it and live.